You're listening to the Jay and Dan Podcast. Brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. the Jay and Dan podcast for Monday, July the 6th, 2020. Did you hear that stuff? Did you hear me open that Yerba Mate? Oh, yeah. Mm. Here comes the energy. Oh, man, that's nice stuff. I just want to give a shout out to the Yerba Mate people, Guyaki, uh, for dropping off uh, a little bit of Yerba Mate for me at my home in downtown Toronto. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the Jay and Dan podcast brought to you by McDonald's. Ordered the kids McDonald's today. Man, Stuff, you know this, there's nothing more exciting than getting that Happy Meal box uh, delivered to your door via Uber Eats uh, or via McDelivery, even better, via McDelivery, even better. Uh, it, it's just a wonderful feeling, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, uh, as someone with no kids, if I had a bunch of Happy Meals dropped off on my porch, people might ask questions, but... <laughs> That's actually a very good point. I might go more with a McChicken or the classic Big Mac. That's a fair point. That's a fair point, my friend. We actually got uh, from a downtown Toronto restaurant called Oyster Boy. We had oysters delivered to our backyard on Saturday. Ooh. It was, yeah, it was special. It was, we felt uh, decadent, indulgent, uh, luxurious, if you will. And you might say to yourself, wasn't it 45 degrees Celsius in your backyard? And the answer is absolutely yes. So we ate them quickly. And so far, stop. I feel fantastic. I haven't uh, gotten sick or anything. And they were delicious. They lose a little bit of their what they call the liquor, right? The, the water in the oyster. Yeah. They lose a little bit in transport. But, man, they're still fresh. They're still delicious. Um, stuff. We want to give a shout out to our friend Bob McKenzie because Bob McKenzie has been working so hard uh, over the last few days. And I know what you're saying. Well, Bob has an amazing life, right? He's got a luxurious cottage. He's got oysters delivered to his backyard probably daily. He gets happy meals all the time, even though his kids are grown up and moved away from home. He just does it because it's fun. But Bob has been breaking uh, news left and right when it comes to the, uh, of course, the return to play. For the National Hockey League, which is very exciting. Training camps getting going here on the 13th, maybe. We're going to talk to Bob about it. He's going to join us right at this moment. Um, Bob McKenzie, how are you, my friend? Oh, we have no oh, we don't have we audio. Have no audio. We don't have audio, Bob. We lost audio. Now we do. Yes. Now we do. Yes, you have to turn do. the microphone on. <laughs> I was trying to save battery power because my iRig, you see my iRig? Yes, I see it, yeah. Okay, well, you know, we do all these Skype hits, and so, you know, the battery might be running out, and I'm not sure Nick Caroli gave me, he gave me one extra battery, and I might have used it up already. <laughs> so. Well, I, what, what say we go as long as we can, and then if we lose you, then we understand. Nah, we, we, should, we should be okay. Anyways, uh-huh. I I don't normally wear this attire, but since there's been so much NHL news today, um, and I was doing a hit for TSN and then CTV National and Newsnet, they wanted to do hits, but I said, hey, I get the Jay on right podcast, so uh, move along, please. That's right. Sorry, La Flamme. Uh, get in line. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually scared of her, Bob. So I'm gonna I'll probably take that. Yeah, me too. Later. Um, okay, good. 
so so yeah, you did the hit with uh, TSN. The big news, of course, uh, NHL NHLPA have uh, come to come to an agreement per se. So so nothing's officially signed or anything, but we've come to an agreement on it. Is it a six year extension of the collective bargaining agreement, Bob? Yeah, what it is, it's a tentative agreement, and it includes um, the two years that are left on the existing CBA, plus four a four year extension. So six years of labor peace, including the two that we already had still in the books. So it's not just the memorandum of understanding. We see the, the whole CBA won't be done until later. They got to do all the paperwork and that. But the what is called the MOU, memo memorandum of understanding, uh, is a tentative agreement, and that also includes uh, well, as part of the entire package, is the return to play protocols for phase three, which is training camp, phase four, which is the actual games in the hub cities. And just quickly taking you through it, if this gets ratified this week, and it should by both the governors and the players, um, then camps open a Monday, July 13th. Uh, the teams would leave their training camps in their home NHL cities and go July 26th to Edmonton for the Western Conference teams and to Toronto for the Eastern Conference teams. And we would have games start playing, meaningful games, happening on August 1st. Wow. I mean, this is pretty impressive, uh, considering they were kind of under the gun a little bit here, don't you think? Yeah, big time. Um, there, there's a couple of things, I guess, worth pointing out here. Number one, I, I don't think anybody, not the NHL, the PA, in spite of their best intentions, can say with 100% absolute certainty that the return to play is going to go off without a hitch and that we'll be seeing games on the first and the Stanley Cup's going to be presented in early October and everything's going to be perfect. That's the plan. That's what they would like. But we're dealing with the pandemic here. There are so many variables and, and uncertainty. They, both sides are quite literally taking everything an hour and a day at a time. They hope to get all this in. Do they? I don't know. And everybody's got opinions on whether they should or they shouldn't. But the reality is they're trying and they're hoping to. That's uh, number one. The, the, whether, they, whether they get the cup presented in early October and they get to finish the 2019-20 season, I don't want to say it's immaterial because there's a financial impact if they don't. But the mere fact that the NHL and the NHLPA could get together under these circumstances and hammer out in really short order, you know, a four-year CBA extension. Think about 0405. We lost a whole year to hockey because they couldn't come to an agreement. Think about 2012-13. We lost a half a season because the NHL and the NHLPA couldn't get a CBA done. So global pandemic, economic reality bites. I mean, the impact on the players is huge, negative impact. The impact on the owners is huge. And these two sides came together very quickly and did what they needed to, to give each other the economic framework and security to pay down all the debt, the loss of hockey-related revenue, pay it out over the next two, three, four, five years. Bob, you, you said it. I mean, you think back to the Goodnow era and the animosity between the, the owners and players at the time, and, and it's, almost, uh, it's almost unbelievable that Don Fear, who's a guy that when he was brought in sort of seemed like a real bulldog, that the players wanted a guy that could stand up to Batman. Things have been kind of seamless between the two of them. I, I realize there's probably been some contentious moments, but 
But overall, the two almost seemed to get along quite well. Well, I think in this instance, they were really pushed together and the pandemic did that. And I think that Gary Bettman realized that this was an emergency situation. And I think Don Fair and the players realized, I mean, if they don't do this CBA, um, and I don't know the exact numbers, but, you know, it's quite likely that from the NHL owner's perspective, in each of the next two years, they might be looking at like a $60 million, a $65 million salary cap you know, $15, $20 million less than it was this past season, that'd be catastrophic yeah. for a lot of teams. Toronto Maple Leafs, Vancouver Canucks, Tampa Bay Lightning, the list goes on and on. And there'd have to be such a massive reallocation of players to go to the teams that aren't to the cap for those that are up against the cap. It would be a disaster. And on top of that, the players would have been looking at some ridiculous level of escrow. 50, 60, 70 percent wow. in each of the next two seasons. They, they, literally, they, they literally would have been paying, playing for cents on the dollar because of the negative economic impact for both the owners and the players. And so I think it forced them together and it recognized, listen, we're taking it on the chin economically here, but if we spread the pain out over the next two, three, four, five years, then we can get things back to where it's a manageable level. And, and listen, there's still going to be real pain for owners and players here over the next three, four years. No doubt about it. But, you know, they've been able to cap escrow and get some guarantees and, and do some good things. We're going back to the Olympics, Jay. Well, I'm so excited about that. I do want to ask you about that. But first, you touched on it, Bob. Can you take us, even like in a Coles Notes way, through how the players and owners will have to pay down that debt over the next couple of years? Or are there parameters to it? Yeah, pretty much. It's a little too detailed for me even, and I don't have it right in front of me. But, I mean, think about all the money that was lost. So, you know, if they didn't get the – it could be – if they don't get this season concluded, you know, they're talking it could be close to a billion dollars. Right. Well, the players would be on the hook for 50% or more of that, the way it will be figured out. So start figuring out how much, you know, $500 million you know, over how many years do you want to spread it? And so they've worked out a payment plan effectively where they're going to cap escrow at 20% for next year. And then it drops down. I think it's, if I forget, 18 or 14, whatever it was, and then nine and then six and six. And, and the NHL is optimistic, as are the players, that once we get this COVID thing behind us, if we get it behind us, I mean, it's pretty scary stuff right now what's happening in the United States. I mean, it's, it's out of control. Um, but I think the feeling is that, you know, the game can bounce back strong and that there's a new U.S. TV deal coming up. There's just one year left next season. The 20-21 the season is the last year on the NBC deal with uh, the National Hockey League. And the belief is that there's going to be a new deal and it's going to be significant money that NBC will be involved, that maybe ESPN will be involved for some games as well. But the point being is there's going to be a big chunk of revenue there. You know, they're bringing Seattle online uh, for not next season, but the season after. And while the Seattle expansion fees have not been part of hockey-related revenue in the past, bringing on another market where they're excited about it, and they're going to be selling jerseys and hats and all that kind of stuff once we figure out the name of the team – um, then, you know, there's more money to be made. So the league 
Speaking is optimistic that if they can get the pandemic stuff behind them, that they will bounce back strong with revenue and that the pain and suffering might not be as bad as everybody thinks it's going to be. And Bob, you mentioned the Olympics and that's such a near and dear thing to our hearts. We, you know, hockey fans in this country just love pros at the Olympics. But I got to be honest, I was surprised they were, were able to do this considering the owners had such an opposition to it, it seemed, for so long. And you could probably understand that their opposition would not wane at all during a pandemic time when they're already losing money. So how did they come together on this Olympic thing? Yeah, I think there was probably just in, in the horse trading that goes on as part of a collective bargaining agreement, the players realized that they were maybe in a, have a little more leverage than they might otherwise have. And so they made that part of it and said, we want to do this. And, and, you know, there might be some people who would say that the NHL was prepared to go back to Beijing, even though, now Gary Bettman would argue with you on that one. But there are those who say, yeah, the owners didn't want to go, but the NHL still might have looked at it, that it's an enormous opportunity to go to China in 2022. Um, but it's, it's contingent on certainly one big thing, and that is, making sure that the NHL and the NHLPA as a collective can get from the IOC all the financial terms and conditions that they both expect and want and need. And if the IOC doesn't want to play ball, well, then, yeah, then maybe the NHL and the NHLPA aren't going back to the Olympics, but that would be a joint decision. It wouldn't just be the NHL saying, no, we don't want to do it because we don't like the Olympics. What I'm curious about too, though, is think about this one for a minute. We don't know when next season starts. We, everybody's saying it'll be January 1. Fair enough. Are there going to be any fans in the stands? And if it is January 1 that the 2021 season begins and they're going to play 82 games and four rounds of playoffs and award the Stanley Cup, it's probably not going to be presented until mid, sometime in the first two or three weeks of July. Wow. And yeah. And keep in mind, the Olympics that got canceled, what are they, Tokyo Olympics, the one that got That's canceled? That's right. I'm, yeah. a, I'm not a big yeah. Olympic guy. But um, <laughs> yep. anyways, they, they be in the third week of July next summer. Right. So NBC can't have the Stanley Cup playoffs going any later and, and crossing over with the Olympics. So now you've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, potentially a Stanley Cup that ends sometime in July next summer. And then you've got probably a later start to that season. And that's the year you would go to the Olympics in February. So now right. you're going later start again. And in the middle of that later start with a condensed schedule, because everything will be crammed in to try and get these games in. Now you're going to Beijing, shutting down the league for three weeks. And now you might have another summer where you're going well into late June, early July to present the Stanley Cup. It may take us... A few years to get back to the cup being presented wow. in June. So that's another one of the ripple effects that this whole pandemic thing is causing. And then the, I, I think about the free agency thing, Bob, there's, there's some big names, uh, you know, Alex Petrangelo, Taylor Hall, there's some big names that uh, this new CBA that is, is this going to affect significantly the unrestricted yes. free agent market? Yeah. I, I would think so now you got to be careful. So Alex Petrangelo and Taylor Hall, the marquee guys, you're right. So there might be a team out there that would look at it and say, hey, we got the cap room. Um, we, could, we could do a seven-year deal with Alex Petrangelo for eight or nine million bucks. No problem. The problem is most of those teams that would have eight or nine million to give Alex Petrangelo and give him the kind of contract 
that would he would normally get if there hadn't been a pandemic and now we've got a flat cap for a couple of years. Um, that, the, that team that would be able to do that, probably not a team that's close to winning the Stanley Cup. Right. Probably a rebuilding team. And Alex Petrangelo is like, great, perfect time <laughs> to go to free agency. You know, he's one of the best defensemen in the National Hockey League. And suddenly he's looking at it and saying, so if I want to get my eight, nine or $10 million a year that I should be because that's what the market value is for me, I got to go to a team that's rebuilding that might not win the cup and I want to win cups. So now is he that much more inclined to look at whatever St. Louis gives him and say, yeah, okay, maybe I'll do that. Or does pride kick in and say, yeah, St. Louis wasn't, wasn't in a hurry to get a deal done with me before the pandemic struck and now I'm paying the price for it. Maybe he does a short-term deal. Maybe a lot of these guys may instead, instead of Taylor Hall and Alex Petrangelo saying, I'm going to sign a seven-year deal or an eight-year deal with St. Louis or, or Arizona, I'm, I'm going to sign a, one, a series of one-year deals. And there's risk involved in that. But every year that you can stretch it out still might put you in a position where you're still one of the best free agents on the open market every summer and the cap maybe starts to go up or there's less escrow or things that would help you in terms of maximizing what you're going to get. Are you excited about free agent frenzy in November, Bob? Yeah, November 1. Um, so uh, I, I saw somebody on Twitter actually had a pretty good line and said they can't wait for free agent frenzy because they're going to have a great big pillowcase of candy from the night before. <laughs> so it's like, it's like trick or treat. <laughs> oh, awesome. We should put a moratorium on trick or treat cliches. And oh, you for, know, uh, Duffy's for, already thinking about it. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, now, I, one thing I thought was interesting, you reported, um, you said that there's an opt-out. So, you know, we're seeing an MLS, I don't know if you saw it today, FC Dallas just has just opted out of the MLS tournament. They've had so many guys tested positive. They were just, they're out. So I'm curious, Bob, you said there is an opt-out thing in phase three and four of the NHL's return to play, it's, uh, I think there's a few days after the deal is ratified. Yeah. Is that correct? That's correct. So is there, uh, I know this is probably hard for you to answer, but in people you've been talking to around the league, have there been rumblings of players who might actually opt out of it? Yeah, there, there have been, you know, people are wondering about Max Domi. He's got, you know, type one diabetes and, Capococco is asthmatic, and there are other players in the league that have some what called underlying medical conditions that might make it a lot more frightening for them to be a part of this than, than anybody else. Um, so we'll see on that. In terms of players that just say, you know what, I just don't feel comfortable, I don't want to do it, I'm sure that that sentiment was voiced on many NHLPA conference calls by some players you know keep in mind too there you know we're seeing this with other sports and i don't follow them that close but anecdotally you know someone's got a wife who's having a baby or whatever and and they're like yeah i'm not really keen on putting myself in a bubble at a time when when my my wife may be having a child and or you know potentially exposing my family to to these things so, yeah, that, that could happen, and, and we'll find out soon enough. If the thing gets ratified by the end of the week, then I would think by Monday or Tuesday of next week, we will know which NHL players have opted out. Um, some people think in hockey there will be more peer pressure, that they'll be like, uh, I don't yeah. know if I really want to play, but 
I thought everybody else is going and I yeah. guess I got to go. And I would just hope every player is governed by their conscience and they do whatever they think is right for them. But there's no penalty for opting out other than not getting to participate in 1920. And maybe that's not a penalty for some of these guys. Um, Bob, how close were we to going to Vegas as a hub city before they were shut down? Yeah, very close. I mean, Vegas was the front runner all along. And, and that was going to be the, the number one priority hub, which is to say it was going to get the conference finals. It was going to get the cup final. Um, and it was, oh, what was it? Was it? I'm losing track of the time, but was it just a week ago today, maybe? Was it, it was either a week ago today or two weeks ago today. But I think it was a week ago, like um, on the Monday. We woke up on the Monday morning and we thought it was Vegas and Vancouver, um, Toronto. No, oh, Vegas the, Toronto. that was the week yeah. before. The week before, it was Vegas and Vancouver. And right. then Dr. Bonnie Henry in in Vancouver has become a rock star for the way she's crushed the curve in the COVID curve in, yep. in British Columbia. Wasn't enamored of what the NHL was peddling in terms of positive tests and how they were going to handle them. And Vancouver withdrew. So then it became, as time wore on that later that week and through to the the weekend. It was Vancouver and Toronto. Those were going to be the two the two hub cities. Sorry, Vegas and Toronto were going right. to be the two hub cities. We woke up on that Monday morning and it was still Vegas. But that day, I and I again, I apologize if it was two weeks. I'm pretty sure it was a week ago only. And and the numbers started to climb. Yeah. And I think Vegas went over a thousand new cases the day before or whatever. And suddenly things changed. And it wasn't just the NHL looking at Vegas and saying, oh, man, look at those numbers. They're climbing. This is, this is not good. This might be more dangerous. It was Vegas and Nevada saying, our numbers are going up. We've got to start scaling back some of the right. reopenings that we've done. And at that point, the, the agreement that, that, that MGM Grand would have had with the NHL maybe a lot of the, the, the tenants of that agreement weren't going to be available anymore. And so suddenly right. the bottom fell out of the Vegas market and that suddenly Edmonton vaulted back to the, back to the, into the picture and it became Edmonton and Toronto. And, and even now I'm not even sure I've been sorting through the stuff, but has the NHL actually officially said Edmonton and Toronto are the hubs? I don't think they have. I, I, I don't think so. Everyone's I don't think they have. <laughs> And I think they're planning. That's what the plans are for. And, and again, it's fluid. I mean, if, you know, it seems like Toronto and Ontario have had a pretty good run here the last number of days, if not week. Yeah. Edmonton's had a little bit of a blip up, if I remember, remember correctly. And that, so I think, I know they are, the NHL is planning to have the conference finals and the cup finals in Edmonton and are starting to proceed on that basis. There's a myriad of, they got to do deals with vendors and, you know, hotels and everybody yeah. else. They've got to start building sets and, and, and getting this thing on, on the way. But if all of a sudden we wake up a week from now and there's been a huge spike in Alberta and Ontario is flat or there's been whatever, you know, everything can change again. And, sure. Uh, so it's, it's been the most fluid situation I've ever been a part of where things, you know, guys are telling me, okay, this is about 95, 99% certain. And usually when people tell you it's 95 or 99% certain, you're on the side of it and you're like, yeah, yeah. it's happening. It's 100. 
and <laughs> and the stuff that was 90 and 95 didn't even come close to happening. And so now when they say it's a fluid situation, I believe them. <laughs> right, right. Bob, before I let you go, how, how's full-time life at the cottage treating you? It's got to be fantastic. It's awesome. Absolutely love it. And, and we're having a heat wave, which is even better. Um, now, I should point out that during this heat wave, Gregor's on vacation. <laughs> LeBron's on vacation. Um, the Quizmaster's is on vacation. What about Billy Dodson? Our He's working. Saravalli's working. Um, although, you need, maybe you can, I shouldn't tell tales out of school because I got in trouble for giving him the, 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 the name, the silver-haired silver <laughs> millennial, which, of course, he, we he, uh, he talked about on, yeah, yes, and you've done the, the features on him or whatever. But uh, the other night when, the, uh, when I knew that the news was breaking on Sunday night with the return to play protocols for phase three and phase four, I immediately, uh, I, I got the documents and I immediately sent them to Frank because he's got to write stories. His job is much more labor intensive than mine. I just talked for 40 seconds. That's why I'm in TV, man. Got out of newspapers. <laughs> Me too. It's much easier. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, so apparently, and Frank told me this, he was flying, trying to fly a kite with his son when, when I sent him all the, and it was like 87 pages of like detailed, heavy reading. And he's at the, at the, I believe he was at the shore and trying to read what was this, the, the, the gist of these 87 pages and fly his son's kite. And oh, neither one of them was going very well. And uh, anyways, that was pretty funny. But Frank's, Frank's working hard. Dreger, LeBron, the quiz yeah. master, Billy Gone. Dodson, not so much. Nowhere to be found. It's, it's still the old schedule for those guys. Well, I will just end on this, Bob. Uh, uh, my wife, who you know. Uh, yes. She, she's Say hi to Shelby for me. I, I will for sure. She's not a cottage person. But then the other day she said, I said, what would it take for us to get a cottage? She said, if we can get a cottage exactly like Bob's cottage, you can have a cottage. And that's when I saw little dollars with wings on them flying out our window. Uh, because uh, that's just never going to happen, Bob. So uh, we'll crash yours someday. But, man, this is so kind of you to, uh, to join us uh, like this. I know you got a lot of demands on your time here, and, and, uh, and you want to fire up the margarita mixer. I mean, your day's, uh, you know. Well, here's the thing. I'm working the rest of this week, heavy, heavy, heavy lifting, insider trading on Tuesday and Thursday. I do get the <laughs> quiz off because when the quiz master's on holidays, no quiz. So Wednesday's a good day. But Tuesday and Thursday is heavy lifting. Yeah. Friday could be ratification day, so there might be some more heavy lifting on Friday. So i got to tell you, on Saturday, um, it, and I, I'm going on three weeks vacation starting on Saturday. So the Bobby Margarita persona, oh, as well boy. as the Margarita machine, is coming out on Saturday. Get ready. And, and uh, there will be nothing happening for me for the next three weeks anything work related nothing until they start playing meaningful games you won't be finding me anywhere well enjoy it, enjoy it my friend and uh, all the best to you and your family thanks for doing this bob awesome thanks jay thanks chris okay so that was bob at his beautiful cottage and now we're going to talk to an old friend of ours who i'm just an enormous fan of and just think is such a major major talent and it's amazing that we haven't had him 
on this podcast before. It is Kyle Brandt, uh, currently of Good Morning Football on the NFL Network, and in a past life, worked with Dan and myself at Fox Sports 1. First of all, Kyle, how, how are you? How's the family doing all that stuff, the pandemic? How's it affecting everybody? It's fine. The kids are asleep. Uh, I'm learning about myself like we all are. Um, I've been thinking about you recently, Jay. I'll tell you why. I was on another podcast, the inimitable uh, Jimmy Trainer from Sports Illustrated, and we were talking sports media. And we were talking about people who are authentic in sports media because I think about 50 to 60 to 80 percent of people in that industry are posers. But there's a couple who are really authentic. And he's like, well, what do you mean? Like, who comes to mind? You know who I said? I said Scott Van Pelt. But I should have said you, Jay. I, I should have said it. you, and I've regretted it. I was like, why didn't I say Jay? <laughs> I should have said you, and I, and I wish I could go back on and re-record it because I'm a big fan of yours. You're the real deal, and I like it. Well, I listened to that podcast. I waited for not my name to be spoken. It wasn't. <laughs> I shed a single tear as I drove down the 401, and then I moved on And because I love you guys together. I think you guys uh, think the same way that I do on so many different things, especially sports media. We're all into – um, the business of sports media. That's why yeah. I listen to Jimmy's podcast every week. It's great. If you don't, if you haven't haven't listened to it, it's uh, the SI Media podcast. Yeah. Hosts and Kyle was on it. It was just great. But um, for you, uh, one person that you ver- work very closely with is very familiar to our podcast audience, Kyle, and that is Mr. Peter Schreger. And I'm curious to what I wanted to ask you right off the top was. First time you met Peter, like first impressions of Peter, was it one of those things where like when I first met you, I thought I could be friends with this guy, no problem. When you first met Peter, uh, were you like, this guy seems like a, a, a problem. I'm going to have a problem with this guy. No, this is a good question. I remember I used to watch a lot of Sopranos and the actor, I wish I knew his name, but the actor who played um, Johnny Sack in Sopranos, his acting method was he would assign every character, they would compare him to an animal and that's how he would work. And he described himself as a cobra and he would describe Gandolfini as a grizzly bear. Peter has a very animal-like quality. Um, he is sort of like, like Baloo from the Jungle Book. Like he's very tall, <laughs> he's a little, little bit rotund depending on the time of year. And right. he's so friendly and so outgoing. And yet, Jay, Peter Schrager will punch you if you try to hug him. Not a hugger, not in right. any way. Like some guys just don't hug. And so I remember thinking he was really friendly and we like to say in pop culture references, but then when we were saying goodbye or whatever, I was like, oh man, it's great to meet. I went for the hug and he almost yeah. like Earl Campbell stiff-armed me. So it was a complex <laughs> legacy for Schrager. He's so friendly and he loved the Schrager bombs. Don't you dare hug Peter Schrager. Well, he is very, you're right, so so well read. Sometimes he'll send me book recommendations. I'm like, no, first of all, how do you have time to read? You have a son. You have, you have this full-time gig with the NFL Network. You're doing the Fox stuff. I don't know how he has time to read, but yeah, he's so re- well-rounded, so well-read. On occasion, rotund, that's true. Uh, has seen the killers more than any other person <laughs> in the world. Like, who else, who else has seen the killers, like, 30 times? I don't even know if Brandon Flowers' family has seen the killers that many times. So he has all these unique things about him. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Then he's also kind of elusive too, right? He, maybe he doesn't want you to get too close to him, not just figuratively, but you know, literally, he doesn't. That's want you true. To get too close Mr. Schrager has seen the killers more than Mrs. Flowers. <laughs> like, there's people who count how many fish shows they've been to, how many yes. times they saw the dead. I get that. How many times you've yep. seen Bruce? Like, nobody counts how many times you've seen the killers. Like, no, he's the no. guy. He loves them. No. He's Mr. Brightside. He, 
It would, but there's a certain, I know, I think, cause I think for you and I, they were a little after that time in our musical life where you find that band that you're just with thick or thin, right? I think we, we had to be a little younger for that. And Shreg's a little younger than us. So I think that's why he's so deeply, deeply into the killers. And they have a new record out. And he's probably like, this is it. This is the one that's yeah, going to get him back I'm not top. familiar. But Jay, you right. hit the nail on the head. Like I, I've always admitted very candidly that my music intake and my maturation pretty much stopped right around college. Like I, I didn't keep going. I just still listen to the same stuff I listened to in high school and college. So right. if it wasn't, you know, some sort of old Pearl Jam or Metallica album or something like I don't really know it. It's just I don't right. have the energy to find the new music and I'm not that cool. So I think you might be right. I might have just missed the cuffs, the cusp of what is his name? Brandon Flowers. I don't even know what that's his name. I just right. that's the yeah, exactly. What, well, okay, so Pearl Jam. So you're a Pearl yeah. Jam guy, right? Massive. I'm a Pearl Jam guy. So I have a question for you. I brought this up on the on the podcast previously. I assume you loved The Last Dance. I assume you watched it. I assume yes. that was a part of, you know, for me, that took going. me back to, you know, I took me back to high school. I loved it so much. Yeah. Um, I just loved seeing the footage. It just made me feel like, it just gave me that nostalgic feeling like, man, I remember when everyone in my school desperately wanted Jordans and, and it was just so exciting and that team yeah. was so exciting. The choice of music throughout I thought was really good. I thought the soundtrack was fantastic until the Pearl Jam song at the end. I actually had a problem with that at the end. And this is coming from a massive Pearl Jam fan only because, yes, do I think Jed Bushler was listening to Pearl Jam at the time? Yes, I do. Yes, I do, Kyle Brandt. But do I think that Scotty and Jordan and Rodman and... Phil Jackson, frankly, were listening to Pearl Jam. I don't think they were listening to Pearl Jam. I think they could have chosen a better final song, but I, I send it over to you now. All right, Jay, I have a lot to say on this. I'm from Chicago, born and raised, like one town over from the Bear, the Bulls practice facility. So we used to see the Bulls driving around, and I would see the Ferrari that said Air 23. I mean, those were gods wow. I lived amongst. I'm also a really big Pearl Jam fan. Now, lest anyone does not understand the reference we're making here, in the final moments of the final episode of The Last Dance, they're wrapping it up, and Steve Kerr is telling a story about Phil Jackson and a, a poem that he wrote that he burned. Then come the opening bars from a track called Present Tense off the No Code album from 1996. And it's a very slow, and then it gets turned into a fast jam. I got to tell you, Jay, I was in heaven. It was heroin to me. The 90s Bulls and 90s Pearl Jam at the same time was fantastic. And I would only counter your argument, which I think otherwise is good, that it maybe didn't represent the Bulls. You have to remember, Dennis Robin was a massive Pearl Jam fan. Massive. Right. He was friends with Eddie and Jeff. He would go to all their concerts. I remember seeing Stone Temple Pilots in about 95, and Rodman came out and introduced them. So part of that weird Rodman allure was that he was this six foot eight power forward who loved, you know, like the meat puppets. Like he loved grunge. Right. And so right. Judd Bushler for sure, Kerr for sure. <laughs> but I think Rodman was headbanging to present tense at the end of the song. Dickie Simpkins, probably not. Tony Kukoc, I doubt it. But Rodman, yes. Oh. Kukoc was listening to a thousand percent. Kukoc was like all the NHL players at the time, the Roman Hammerlicks, all, <laughs> all of the Europeans. It was all Scandinavian death metal 24-7. So Kukoc would have picked something from Napalm Death, and the producer's <laughs> like, you know what, honestly, that's a little heavy for the end of this one. Let's go with Pearl Jam from the No Code album, which I believe was their fourth album, right? Yeah. So – Yes, I, I do like the as a band. Yeah, you can't go wrong. Wow, what was it like? 
we talk about Chicago a lot. Um, I just think it's such a spectacular city. And I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but uh, it must have been so incredible to grow up in that city at that time, Kyle. That must have just been such a blast. I won the childhood sports fan Powerball. I, I was a kid in the north suburbs of Chicago in the 90s. And I, I mean, look, I had the Sosa Chase. I had Wrigley. Yes. Um, but I was there for six championships. And I mean this. Yeah. I, I lived in a town called Lincolnshire, which is really close to a, count, a town called Deerfield, where the Bulls practice. It was a place called the Multiplex. So all the time you would hear that Horace Grant was at TGI Fridays last night and he was there and he ordered this. And my dad was like super aggro and like my dad was very hands on and super cool. And he said one day, he said, come with me. We're going to go on a ride. And we drove to the multiplex where the Bulls practice and he brought a ball and a marker and he wanted to get Jordan's autograph. It's probably 1991 or something. And I stood there outside the security gate. They just let you do it. The gate opens. We're there for maybe an hour. And I see Bill Cartwright drive by. And I see John Paxson drive by and I see Horace Grant drive by. And then sure enough, a black Ferrari with Air 23 pulls up and I wave him down. They stop. He stops. Window comes down. Now, here's how I remember it, Jay. The second the window comes down, he is blaring um, Rhythm Nation by Janet Jackson. Just blaring yes! And yes! there's so much cologne pouring out of his window. <laughs> and he goes out and Michael says to me, he goes, you know, you're not supposed to be here. And I go, I'm sorry. Could you sign my ball? And he, yeah, give it to me. Uh, what's your name? Kyle. And he goes, Carl. And I go, no, no, not Carl. Not Carl. <laughs> Kyle. He writes to Kyle, Michael Jordan, tosses me the ball, Whoa. turns back up the Rhythm Nation and peels out. I still have the ball. In fact, I, I, sh I should go grab it. I almost, I have it here to this day. And wow. it's an amazing story. So, And then I just drove five minutes home. So it was living amongst the gods. I mean, it would have yeah. been you like running into like Gretzky at the mall or yes. something like that. It was really that yes. cool. Which is, I remember uh, running into a Grant Fuhr uh, yeah. at the Magic Pan uh, restaurant, which was like, because in the mall at the West Edmonton Mall, the big mall, they had a skating rink and the Oilers would practice oh, there did. sometimes. Yeah. And then Grant would want to go for a drink. And it was, I felt so bad for him because Edmonton's such a, you know, it's a small town in a lot of ways. So everyone was kind of just crowding around him as he just sat there quietly sipping a scotch. Probably so wasn't cool. the most pleasant experience for him, but it was sure great for us. I like getting a scotch at the mall. That's pretty classic. Right? Right. That's what you do. That's what I get Pan Express. <laughs> That's right. We did get that too, but once in a while you had to wash it down with a nice, you know, right. uh, a nice hibiki or something like that. Um, so, and the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, because we have all these similar cultural references, you yeah. tweeted out recently, uh, that was the 35th anniversary of Back to the Future. Yeah. And man, uh, we're so in the same wheelhouse on this one. I truly think it may be my favorite movie ever. Yeah. Uh, it's certainly in my top five ever. You described it as a perfect movie. And I think that's so brilliant. Um, I would love to hear your memory of seeing it for the first time. I remember it well, and I was really young because uh, I was born in 79, so I was six. It came out right. in 85. That's right. I remember a lot of things. I think the strongest impression was you see this incredible movie, and it, it he just he could have gotten back to 1985 and his family changed, and it's a great movie, and roll the credits. And then Doc Brown pulls up, and he's yeah. screaming about this. It's your kids, Marty. It's your kids. He's got and the then, Mr. Okay, and then, now, yeah, he says put banana peels in. And okay, so that's enough for a six-year-old. Now it's more than enough. You could end the movie yeah. there. 
And then he says, where we're going, we don't need roads. And I'm like, Doc Brown, what are you going to do now? Because my head is going to explode. <laughs> the car flies. And you have to understand, in 1985, for a car to fly, I mean, we didn't have, like, you know, Blade Runner 23,000 or whatever. And we, we had nothing then. We had, like, some Ridley Scott movies and Star Wars, and they were all in space. The yep. fact that his car peeled out in the air above the suburbs – like, I feel like I became a man in that moment, and I was only six. I couldn't believe it. And it's crazy because in I've looked into this, Jay. This is a deep cut. In the theater, it did not say to be continued. Ah, when they started right. airing it on TV and then they released the VHS, it said to be continued. So in the theater, you're like, what is, is that it? Is that all we're going to get? And I just right. – it was so unbelievably magical, and it still is. And I know you relate to this, Jay, because you're a father – it's a movie that I think we could show our kids and they'll have the same reaction when he flies down the street. hundred percent. I think it, it holds up beautifully and I'll take it a step further. I heard, and I believe Michael J. Fox said this, yeah. that, so you're right. They tack on the to be continued on the VHS and yeah. everything. And I, my understanding is they did that before they had signed Michael J. Fox to the sequels. Okay. So they were like, if he's in or not, we're doing sequels. That kind That's of thing, incredible. Right? Like, yeah, it's a power so play. it was a big time power move from Paramount or Spielberg or whomever Zemeckis. I don't know who it was, but yeah, it, I mean, for it's me, incredible. I think of so many things. I remember uh, going into Edmonton, seeing it. People in my class had already seen it. They're like, "It's unbelievable. You got to go." Going with my folks, coming out of the theater, and immediately saying to my dad, "I need a skateboard, and I need it within <laughs> two days." <laughs> I need a skateboard and I need it within two days. Luckily, my small town, an hour north of Edmonton, we right. go to the junk shop, we go to the used, you know, store with all the knickknacks, and there's a little banana skateboard like from 1972 or something like that. And I rode that bad boy for a while until I got my John Lucero Schmidt, Schmidt Sticks uh, bad boy. But it, it kicked off the skateboarding thing. It was so exciting. Was it strange that he was hanging around with a 50-ish year old <laughs> single man with no children? Sure, maybe it was. But it's kids. I didn't think about it. I thought, wow, it would be so cool to have a best friend who's yeah. like that who can do inventions and things like that. Help um, me with this, Jay. All right. So Marty McFly. Marty McFly is, is a great skateboarder. He yeah. is a, a, the lead guitarist and lead singer of like a really cool rock band. He the has the hits. hottest girlfriend in the whole school. So but he doesn't appear to have any friends at all. It's right. just like everything he does is cool. And I'll go one further. Mrs. McFly is not into him taking his hot girlfriend to the mountains to camp and make out, but she's totally fine with him hanging out with Dr. Emmett Brown for unknown amounts of time. Nothing jives there. And yet, no, it, I'm not going to criticize the movie. No, no. And, and, and it makes sense. And now there was a recent thing I, I'm sure you saw where – and I didn't even know about this, but apparently for years people have been saying this about, about the script, about the plot, that why is it when he gets back to 1985, why don't they recognize him as the Marty they knew back in 1955, yeah. right? Yeah. Why don't they? And so as a kid, I never even, never even came to my head. Um, did that ever bother you? or did I know the screenwriter no. actually had an explanation for it. I, I think it's a cop-out. Put, put it this way. I think... George and Lorraine were around Marty in 1955. I, I would say maybe a week at, at the most. How long were right, they there? Right, right. All right. Yeah, so a week. Imagine, Jay, imagine you went to summer camp in the summer of 1970. You know, no, no, wait, yeah. 
1970, 1980. Okay. No, no, no. My math is wrong. 1990, 30 years ago. Summer right. of 1990 for one week. Would you recognize a kid 30 years later you no. spent one week with? No, Even though I, you, I had set you up with your wife or anything? I don't think no. so. Kyle, no. there's people working on our show right now. If I walked down the street, I wouldn't know who they were. <laughs> Stop. That's, that's also part true, of right? getting old. Yes. I, I'm just kidding. Stop. That was just adding to the joke a little bit. <laughs> of course. Of course. Uh, Kyle, I, I, we're actually out of time. This is I'm having so much fun talking to you. Will you come back and me? Because I know that you're going to be so loved by our podcast listeners. Would you come back and, and we'll talk a little bit more about our favorite movies? And I would love like to I come gonna, back if we can finish on a note of honesty. Jay, Let's how long before you called me did Schrager say, no, I'm on vacation. I can't do it. Be honest. Uh, I'll be honest. So I called him yesterday. <laughs> I said, can you do the podcast tomorrow? He said, can't do it. And that was the end of that. And then I, I actually will say this. I, it wasn't immediately like I said. So this is me just being honest with you. I wasn't immediately like, oh, then I should get Kyle. It was more, well, who can I get that I haven't talked to that I really, I really want to talk to some. When I do the podcast alone, I like to sort of take it the way I like to take it. Dan doesn't. Dan would not understand any of these references we just made over the last oh, twenty-five good. minutes. Nothing. Okay. Right. He would not he would be lost, completely lost. I would say Eric Stoltz was originally Marty McFly. Yeah. He's like, who the hell is Eric Stoltz? <laughs> so um, I guess I, I try to I try to book people when it's just me that I know I connect with on that type of level, that pop cultural yeah. level. And so your your name came to me sort of like out of the blue late last night. So it wasn't immediate. Right. So it was not really related to Schrager, but yes, I did try to try to get Schrager yeah. on the show. Jay, yeah. I love the show. I'll always do it. You don't need no credit card to ride this train. Anyway. <laughs> uh, buddy, um, as the great Charlie Daniels said, uh, I told you once, you son of a bitch, I'm the best that's ever been. That's an awkward way to end an interview, <laughs> but that is a line uh, from The Devil Went Down. That's a door. line. Thank, thank you, Kyle. Great talking to you, my friend. Anytime, Jay. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Kyle Brandt. What a stop, right, Kyle? That was awesome. A lot of fun. He was fantastic. What a guy. Like the, the podcast was, this podcast was a really good podcast because you got the information from Bob uh, and Bob's the best. And then you get uh, the fun stuff from Kyle. So want to thank them for coming on. Um, stuff. Thanks for everything you do. You're a great man. And, uh, and you look mysterious and handsome in your office with your leather chair. I do my best. I don't think it's real leather, but. We'll get there one day. Someday we'll get there. I can't wait till we're sponsored by Danier. <laughs> oh, that is the truth. That's a, that's a Danier joke. Um, okay, we got to run. Uh, we'll see you next week. Hey, we'd love to hear from you on Twitter uh, about future guests you love over the next few weeks. Uh, who would you like me to book? Who would you like me and Stoff to book on the podcast? Uh, sky's the limit. Just throw it out there. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe some older guests that we haven't heard from a while. If you want to hear from them, just let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear from you at all times at uh, at Jay and Dan, Instagram and Twitter. And uh, thanks for your kind words about Dan, and keep reaching out to Dan. And is, am I forgetting anything, Steph? Usually oh, Dan it. ends these things. All right. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Bye-bye.
to the Jay and Dan podcast brought to you by our friends at McDonald's. James Duffy presents the Rubber Boots podcast. So we're sitting down at our table. The, the waiter comes up and he's like profusely sweating. <laughs> and this is like 100% his first line to us. He goes, hello. I am not well. <laughs> I'm very ill. <laughs> you ate there? I came down with it yesterday. I've just not been good. Not good at all. Get it at tsn.ca and anywhere you get your podcasts.